Hello and welcome to the Bo Show. I'm your host, Bo Braden. Uh, sorry to switch it up after just one week. Got the got the new cut from Big D's in downtown Vancouver for all my local cats. Um, today's guest is Cooper Conway, one of my best friends. Uh, he's a political science major at Boise State University, and I can't wait for you guys to meet him. just say I am fired up to have you on. I'd love for you to kind of tell me and the audience your upbringing, what you do and and how you kind of got there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little offended that I wasn't the first guest, but I mean, that was a fantastic first episode. So I mean, (laughs) it is what it is. Um, But I mean, you've known me pretty much since what, sixth grade. I remember walking into class on the first day and seeing this big blonde kid with an sweet deep V walking around. I was like, who's that guy? And everyone's like, that's Bill Braden. Always testing the limits of fashion, especially at 12 years old. (laughs) You're an innovator. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. Um, But I've been pretty much raised here, Vancouver, Washington, my entire life. My dad, as you know, is a teacher. He was the teacher at the school that I went to since second grade. Uh, education is a large part of my family, and it's what I'm very much focused on now. But just in the public policy aspect of it, um, I don't know if you knew this, but my dad's not the only teacher in my family. Uh, my grandma was a teacher. Grandpa was a teacher. Wow. My grandma actually was um, the first one in our family to go to college. She walked across the city of Manchester, New Hampshire back in the day to be able to go to school because her, uh, her dad didn't believe that women should be attending college. And so since then, she's made sure to to make sure that her son was able to go to college. And obviously, my parents have made it a very important deal for uh, education in our household. So college was uh, the goal, obviously, to do well in high school. Didn't want my dad hearing from uh, the other his co-workers, I guess, that I was doing uh, anything, anything bad or uh, naughty, if you will, since we're in Christmas time. But uh, but I try to be a pretty good kid. So. Um, what I'm focused on now is I'm studying political science, Boise State. I just finished up uh, an internship with the American Enterprise Institute this past Friday, uh, focused on innovation in the United States. I've written articles, uh, been able to do a lot of cool research, research for uh, my, my, my fellow's work, who I, who I worked under for uh, his new book that's coming up um, for AI focused on innovation in the United States. So. Uh, yeah, pretty excited about today's podcast. I'm glad. Thank you for having me on and uh, I'm excited to see what we get to talk about. Awesome. So, so first off, I, I kind of want to just ask what inspired you to start getting on this path of where you're at now? Yeah, I, well, I went to college uh, freshman year at Boise State. I was um, a business major because that's kind of just what like the the classic uh we all were bro does yeah we were all <laughs> business majors at some point 
Uh, and I took my first class, uh, Business 101, and I hated it, and I did not want to be there. And I, I realized what's something that I kind of want to challenge myself and do something that interested me. And politics was always something that, that stood out. And so I decided I'll just study political science. Um, and so freshman year was pretty much me just doing gen eds. Um, that's how it's lined up. I'm, I'm sure it was for you at uh, Wazoo at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going into the summer, I was thinking I need to do uh, an internship or something, get some work experience, uh, just stay busy. And at the time, my internship advisor said, well, you could work for uh, the two senators in Idaho or do something along those lines. Um, and I realized that wasn't exactly for me. So I, uh, I just was trying to think about what I wanted to do. And my dad called me and just said, hey, just went, had a great experience um, in Baltimore with this community nonprofit called the Transformation Center. You should check them out. So I did. And basically... I reached out to them and said, this is what I want to do. I want to work for you. Do you have a spot? And they said, yeah, we're always accepting help. And so this was kind of a, a big risk, but this uh, gangly looking skinny white boy went down to inner city Baltimore and spent his summer there uh, and the community accepted me. And I realized that this was something, uh, this is a community that I care about. Um, and I take the lessons that I learned from that experience into everything I've done from here on out. But that was, that experience was uh, what shaped me into knowing that I wanted to work on education policy um, because we were cracking open um, our Bibles one day because it's a, a Christian nonprofit. Um, and I asked one of these little girls to, to read just a couple verses uh, from this passage. And her brother came up to me, it was a group of four kids uh, for the summer programming and said, um, you know, let's, let's, I, I, I can read it. My, my sister doesn't read super well. Um, and uh, she doesn't really enjoy that. And so, so that's, that's totally fine. And so I talked to my boss, Mallory, and told her what had happened afterwards. And she explained to me that the kids at the school across the street, not even 50 feet away, on average, were two to three reading level grades behind uh, compared to the average kid. Uh, and I asked what, why this is. And she said, well, the school doesn't exactly get a lot of funding. Um, the parents are trying to work and they're not always able to accommodate to be able to have reading time with their kids, which I was able to have. There was 15% more students that were in the school than the school was able to fit comfortably. Um, so each teacher was able to have uh, personal uh, time with the children. And so I realized, all right, something is deeply wrong with this. And so that, that was really what sparked everything else for me as I've gone on to do more formal research and writing roles. Um, but anyways, from that experience, um, I had talked with um, a fellow at a, a think tank in D.C. and who was one of my dad's former students. And she said, I, I just talked to her to kind of learn more about political science and what the work that she was doing. The week after uh, I had finished up in Baltimore, I came back here, just ready to go back, start my sophomore year. I got a call and she said, hey, one of the interns just dropped out. We need someone ASAP. Uh, do you know of anyone with the credentials um, to be able to handle this position? And so I said, uh, let, me, let me get back to you. So I sent her a text. I said, just give me, just give me a couple minutes. I was just kind of thinking through my head. I was like, oh, who's someone? And I had a couple people that I was like, they would be really good. But then I talked to my dad. I'm like, but I, I kind of want to do this. Like, <laughs> I was kind of selfish. Uh, and, and I said, well, I mean, I would be more than happy to be willing to do this. And she says, all right, the start date's in a week and a half. Fill out this application. I was like, 
sure. Okay. Uh, and so I, I did that. Um, and they accepted me and that was kind of how I got my start, uh, in, uh, the think tank industry, uh, mm-hmm. business and the politics. And I was there in DC a week and a half later, I uh, kind of had just dropped everything and I still had not taken a political science class at the time. So I just showed up in my suit, not knowing anything at all, pretty mm-hmm. much. And just kind of faked until I made it um, through that internship, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I learned a lot from that. And now we're, now we've just kind of kept going and uh, going off of those experiences. But I think that's something um, that people are, people aren't afraid to take are afraid to take chances on themselves and I knew full well that I was unqualified. And I think she knew that as well, <laughs> that I didn't have any experience. But sometimes just being able to say yes, um, that'll open up so many more more doors um, for you in the future that you may not have thought that you would have been able to have. Awesome. For those of us, because I know I've been sitting here being your your friend for the last couple of years, and you talk about a, a think tank, and I I hear that, and I I go, what what does that even mean? Oh, yeah. uh, would you explain what a think tank is and what you kind of do in that? Uh, yeah, so a think tank it can be uh, different depending on what the type is um, and what their mission is, but for the ones that I've worked for, um, it's very much focused on uh, figuring out free market based solutions for the problems that we face in uh, today's society. So what they'll do is they'll choose a topic, could be anything that you, you find prominent, um, and they'll try and think of different kind of wild ideas to be able to, um, to figure out how to solve this issue. Um, and then they'll usually end up writing an op-ed or a port, um, something of that nature, do a bunch of media hits. Um, so you probably see them on television and you may not have even realized that they were affiliated with the think tank. And that's, that's their full-time job. It's kind of like um, what your professors do at a university, but mm-hmm. except they're all professors. They don't have students to teach and they just focus on what they enjoy doing. And you know? is that something that you see yourself doing in the future? Or was that more something you wanted to do to, to build that experience? Um, that's a, that's a tough question, but I think it's something that I've wanted to do to be able to, to build experience, become a stronger researcher, become a stronger writer, um, have more knowledge of the policy, whatever it may be. Uh, and then see where that takes me. I don't know, um, what I want to do exactly in a formal setting. I, I don't think that the job's been really invented for me yet and what I want to do. We've, we've talked about this a little bit when we're doing our, uh, workouts in Dylan's gym. But uh, what I want to do is I want to flip the education sector on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we know about it, I would love for it to be looked at and say, all right, this is good. Let's keep it. Or this doesn't really work out for all of these people. Let's change it uh, and make it different. And I don't think there's exactly, there's people that are looking into that, but I don't know if there's exactly a, a unique role for me um, mm-hmm. in terms of the, in the think tank role. Yeah. I love that. And in, you, you've said some things to me where I, I've just sat back and been like, wow, because I'm, I'm very big on investing in our youth, obviously, and, and think mm-hmm. education is very important. And so, so my thought process, you know, being uneducated in, in these topics is, well, we need to invest more into these kids. But I, I go and I look at this article you wrote, Supporting Students, Not Systems is Social Justice. 
And I got to compliment your writing also. I mean, in, in three paragraphs, you, you write what I would put into about two pages. So <laughs> I, I love looking at your stuff. I mean, there's, there's not a single word that's uh, unnecessary. Thank you. But this, this quote, census data reports U.S. spending per student has nearly tripled since 1960, including inflation. Oregon now spends $15,000 per student per year. In Portland Public Schools, it's $27,500 per student. Even so, Oregon ranks near the bottom of the states in graduation rates. I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, well, we're investing more into these students. Where is it going and where are we failing in that? Yeah. Um, and so let me, let me start. Let me preface mm-hmm. this with, I also agree that we should be funding education. I think mm-hmm. it's extremely important. Um, but I, I think how we fund it is uh, an important question to be asking um, and what, what we are funding. And I think a lot of the money that um, and this is kind of more of a general at each, each district has their own own problems that they face. That's that are unique to them. Um, but what I've seemed to have noticed as a common theme in, in terms of my work is that the funding will go in to these schools, which is great, but then it doesn't necessarily end up going to the teachers. Um, and it doesn't necessarily go into certain programs that directly impact the, the, the children. Um, which is the purpose of of school, right? Is to to educate these kids. And instead, it'll go to different administrative costs. Um, obviously, running a building um, is extremely expensive, um, and we're just not able to really improve anything. And so, a lot of there's there's a lot of different uh, solutions to this. My favorite solution is one that uh, Arizona has recently implemented, called the. Uh, I want to make sure I'm saying this right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's called the education savings account. Uh, And so what they do is for children that go to a public school with a a lower ranking, they're able to take 90% of the dollars that would go into them. So say Portland uh, public schools is about $30,000. So they say about twenty twenty seven thousand dollars if my math is right my math is not good so i very much could be wrong um but uh and they say all right we're gonna put this into a debit card or credit card and all the money has to go to towards this children's education so it could be tutoring could be online classes through uh, an online charter school if that works better for them or something that directly impacts them and focuses the education for that particular student and something that i think we haven't seen a lot of improvements in education in this country uh, can be attributed to uh, the lack of specialization towards each student. Each child is different as we know, but right now our public system is very much for the standardized student, except Mm -hmm. the problem is there's no such thing as a standardized student. You and I learn very differently. Um, You know, Dylan, any of our friends learn the things that we're interested in are all all wide ranging, um, but the teachers are only able to do so much and focus on, um, you know, the standard math, English, um, science, whatever that may be. Uh, and so what I want to do is have our, our system be specialized to each student. Um, one example is, uh, you, you, I'm sure you know of one of our friends who's actually getting married in the upcoming summer. School was never really his thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that came easily to him. And was something that 
um, he enjoyed. But what did come easily was manual labor, hard work. Um, and so now he's found a great job in the trades. Mm-hmm. So instead of just pushing this kid to constantly try and pass algebra two or whatever the math class that he wasn't necessarily uh, prepared for or was supposed to be successful at, because that's just not how um, his mind works. Why don't we say, all right, you're good at this. How about we, we develop this passion? And the thing is, he was able to do that. He was able to figure out like school's not his thing. So he was able to find this other route. But there's a ton of kids that just end up flunking out because they're not able to get the special attention they need to be able to succeed uh, in this system. And then they end up doing things that they don't necessarily, they're, they're forced to go provide for their family, whether that be doing something terrible or doing a job that they just hate. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that we're missing out on, on their innovation, what they can contribute to society. Um, and also what they're, what would fulfill them. We're not able to capitalize on with our system. So I think that's something that can be changed. With that, would you see that coming with the, the traditional primary, like at the elementary school, middle school leading up to that and then becoming specialized? So like what, when, when is the decision making? Because obviously kids need to learn the the basics yeah. of history and, and math. And I, I don't want my 11 year old being like, you know what, I am just not really getting the whole subtraction thing. So I think I'm just going to be a, a plumber, which, which I love, you know, but I, when, when do you start that specialization process and, and what's the lead up to that? I wouldn't frame it um, as a specialization process mm-hmm. more than necessarily a fulfillment process. Um, you don't necessarily have to be shoved into, all right, this is the job that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And all right, time to take you out of sixth grade, little Bobby. And now we're going to make sure that you're, um, you're mowing grass or doing something else, mm-hmm. uh, because it's just not clicking for you more of, I think we need to find, figure out like, all right, this kid really enjoys, uh, doing podcasts, for example, why don't we pair him up with somebody that is already successful in this industry uh, and have them talk to them every once in a while, um, or maybe in like a period or a class designed for this, where kids are able to figure out their passions um, and something that speaks to them. Instead of, I mean, how many times were you just sitting in a class not paying attention because it wasn't interesting for you um, when you could have been networking with somebody or creating a passion project for yourself that you may not have had anyone really known about because there's 40 kids in your class and the teacher just couldn't really know you like that. Um, and so I don't think it has to be a specialization. I just think it has to be something where we emphasize uh, fulfillment instead of obviously making money is important, but let's try and find something that is able to, you know, make money, but also fulfill somebody and realize um, that this is what they want to do with their life. With this, would there still be your, your traditional high schools and, and that kind of thing? Or is this for like just the specific students where that doesn't work for them? Like an alternative? Um, I think that's something that the, the child's parent would have to answer. For example, like we were able to go to a private Christian school, right? For a few years. For you, you realized you wanted to go to Columbia River and you wanted something else because that wasn't necessarily what you wanted and what was mm-hmm. best for you at that time, right? Well, for a child that's 
not able to um, leave the public school system and go to a school that would fit their needs, they're stuck there. They don't have any other choices. It's not like you're going to be able to tell this single mom of four, like, oh, just go move to the um, suburban part of uh, Vancouver so yeah. you can go attend a school that's uh, a little bit better uh, for your child. She's going to be like, well, I can't afford that. Um, and, and so I think the public school system does a, a good job and it serves a, a good need. Um, but also when you're not able to have competing schools and they're the only ones able to receive funding and you can't decide where the dollars go, you're going to have a lack of innovation, which is, I think, the problem that we're facing right now is that we've had these schools and they're just not necessarily hitting the needs for all these students. And they don't necessarily have to hit the needs because they're still going to be able to get the money. We're still funding them, which is great. And we're still willing to fund them more, but there's not necessarily a boost from someone um, competing with them to make them uh, use the dollars better or uh, invest more in their, in what their teachers are teaching and changing how we're teaching, how the classroom is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's, that's something we see in other industries. Uh, you can see that with cars right now. You can see Tesla. Obviously, Elon Musk is leading the you know, the charge in uh, electric cars. But there's, you know, I'm sure Ford and General Motors are right behind trying to figure out how they're going to compete with them to make money. Now, but the the counter to that is why are we privatizing education or making it a business? And, I, and my my point, my my argument is, well we want what's best for the student and not necessarily a system. And if the system isn't working, maybe we should think about changing the system, which is uh, something that people disagree with. And I completely accept that. Um, But I think it's something that should be looked into. Honest. I mean, I think that's sick. What you just said, challenging a whole system where every, everybody, I mean, for generations has been the same and, and you're saying, this doesn't work for everyone. And this Mm -hmm. is where we're seeing kids who can do amazing things in their lives, ending up in prisons or the, the, the wrong situations where these resources could just be allocated differently and their, their lives look completely different. So I love what you just said. I mean, the whole point of this podcast is to present challenging ideas where not everyone's going to agree, but to let people think about those things. So that's awesome. And I love what you just said. I do want to ask, you sent me this article you wrote about CRISPR, the gene editing tool. That shit blows my mind. I, I mean, <laughs> Would you explain a little bit about that? So that's an article you edited the how will CRISPR yeah, article? Yeah. So this was, um, this was actually part of my job that just finished on Friday. But one of the best parts of it was that uh, the fellow who I worked under and worked for uh, has his own podcast called the political economy podcast, not to shout out other podcasts on your show. Dude, no, show let's but, all, uh, we're challenging uh, ideas and, and promoting. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, but he had a guest on um, who's very much focused on this new technology called CRISPR, which edits the genomes. And so I edited the article that then got published. So I did not write it, but mm-hmm. it's uh, I just edited it and then transcribed it and, and that much. Um, but uh, that was the person who I thought was the most interesting uh, guest that we had on the podcast in my time uh, mm-hmm. working with them. He and what he was talking about in terms of being able to edit these human genomes and being able to potentially cure uh, diseases. I think he believed uh, sickle cell disease is already being looked at. Uh, different types of cancer, liver cancer, um, was something that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And I don't think a lot of people really know about it. I think when people originally hear this, they think of uh, a superhuman being created. Yeah. Uh, and being able to create a super muscular, good-looking uh, person, which maybe at some point could be uh, po- possible, but um, mm-hmm. for right now, it's very much focused on um, on medicine and what's being done with that. Uh, and there was actually a, a very interesting story he brought up on this uh, Chinese scientist. Um, I guess HIV is a really uh, big problem in China with a large stigma, which I did not know about. Um, but the scientist edited the DNA of these two human babies, which had not been done, uh, in 2018. And he presented this work. Um, the scientists, uh, actually ended up in jail for violating ethical, uh, standards with this, which is understandable because he's editing the human genome of two children, um, that we don't know what the impacts are yet in terms of down the line. But it's something that is just fascinating technology that could be able to to hopefully cure a lot of disease around the world. And it's something that who knows what what can be done with it. Uh, they don't exactly know yet. Uh, but I thought it was something that you would be interested in. Uh, it's kind of kind of wacky, kind of sci-fi ish, but uh, it's a pretty pretty interesting subject. Yeah. No. When when you explained it to me the other day, I was like, "Holy shit! Like this is a real." Thing. So this started with food, right? Was this um, started with I the, think, the soybeans and, and corn? Was this uh, Monsanto? I think it's, it, that what, it, it, <laughs> it reminds me of the, uh, the Punnett Square stuff that we used to do in like biology in high school. I know that um, there was a scientist, she recently won uh, the Nobel Prize for her research on this. Um, and for really figuring this out. And I think there's a new book coming out on it um, that she's very much focused on. And I, I just I, I just think it's something that I don't know what can be done with the technology. And I think people are scared, but I think that's something that a lot of times people are scared about what technology is um, gonna bring us, whether that be automating jobs away, changing how we live. And I think that's something that, that should be a reverse in mindset. It should be like, all right, we're going to have these new technologies that, but like, what does that mean for us in terms of what new jobs are going to be created? What new passions, what things are going to be fixed? And I, I think that we look at it wrong. Uh, and I think this goes across like the political spectrum. Andrew Yang, I, who I think we bonded over, uh, the the math guy. I love him, but I think he, um, I think he has something right. It's, it's going to change. Technology is going to change our world. Um, and AI, especially, and what, how work is going to be done. 
And I, I like the idea of the UBI, uh, the universal basic income. So yeah. thousand dollars uh, a month to each uh, mm-hmm. family or person. Um, I think that's a really interesting policy proposal. I know economists are uh, kind of split on that and, and uh, how it would be uh, distributed. But I think that I like the idea that he's at least looking forward because um, mm-hmm. our world is going to be changed in a lot uh, way quicker than you and I could even imagine. Well, um, look at look at it in the last 11 months. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you live five minutes away from me and we're doing it. We're hosting a podcast remotely right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's wild, and I just got I just finished my last class for the semester over Zoom. Um, I didn't have a single class in person this year, which is too bad. But but I think a positive um, that we may not be able to see yet is the innovation that will come out of this and what's going to be created because people are forced to forced to do something different. Um, maybe they're forced to they're they're forced to find a passion that they might have not have known. Uh, because something terrible did happen to them. And I think that's the silver lining that um, we're going to be able to take from this and that there's going to be a, a whole lot of new, not a, a lot of new things created um, because people were forced to do something different. Well, and, and that willingness to change is what's going to keep people moving and productive and, and what's the, the really beautiful thing to come out of this. And I mean, my mom, um, you know, her working, she sells insurance to school employees. And so her, her territory is the Northwest and she's driving all over and she's having the best year of her career right now. And Mm -hmm. I asked her about it and I'm like, look, are you going to go back to how you were doing this before? And she's like, well, think about how much my productivity has gone up. She's working her commuting time you know if if she's working three hours away which is like a you know the the average drive she's doing to to go visit a school she's working during that whole time and and scheduling those appointments so so productivity is going up and it's you're starting to see with the the evolution of technology how we don't we don't need to be centralized as much as we thought. And, mm-hmm. and of course there's, you know, the, the, the hands-on jobs, obviously like you got to be there, but business transactions and all these kind of things, like I don't, I don't have to be in the heart of Portland or the heart of Seattle to, to do these things. I can be in my living room. I'm sitting here recording this podcast in sweatpants and this button up, but <laughs> I think we're seeing the evolution of how work is going to look in the future. And a positive, but the, uh, I don't know if your mom drives electric, but if she doesn't, a little bit of a carbon reduction there from her car as well, from being able to, to telecommute um, okay. is also a, a good thing, but you're right. Uh, same, same story here with my mom. She's been working uh, remotely for the past, holy cow, how many months, nine, nine months since March. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure businesses are starting to realize why do we necessarily need a building if all of our employees are having the same productivity and they're just working remote and able to live where they want to live. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot, uh, a lot of changes from that. And I think it could be, you know, who knows, maybe you're working. I mean, she, uh, every night pretty much at 8 PM this week, it feels like she's on the phone or uh, on zoom with someone from Shanghai. 
I mean, the idea that we're able to do that is insane. Oh, I mean, yeah. the, Shanghai, like that's, that is a, <laughs> literally across the world. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what's to come from this, but I, I think that there's going to be a lot of positives, a lot of changes. Um, one thing I am worried about, though, is that people are going to get lonely. Um, and I think we've already seen a lot of um, this is not good for mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's something that is going to need to be addressed and addressed quickly and that people are going to become isolated and um, with the rise of technology, no matter if we were in COVID or not, um, that's already been happening for a while now. And I think that's something that's serious. And I, I, um, I'm appreciative that, you know, my friends reach out. I'm a terrible communicator, bad texter, bad, bad person to, to get in contact with. But, um, you know, I just had a, before coming out of the podcast, I just talked to a, a friend of mine who lives in Alaska for a couple hours on the phone. And I, I didn't realize how much I, I had missed, uh, missed being around him and being able to talk to him and uh, hanging out with him until um, I was able to finally, finally speak with him. And I think that's something that, that hopefully people are, are now realizing that, that they shouldn't take for granted with COVID. Oh, definitely. I mean, man, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I miss uh, the BC before COVID. <laughs> so I saw a tweet today where it was like, I miss, I miss my friends, friends, like the people I would see at a party, like maybe three, four times a year. Like I miss the acquaintances. <laughs> and, 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 uh, so, and you just kind of like, <laughs> so some girl commented, like, imagine the thrill of complimenting a handbag right now. Like, like man, no, some human interaction like that. I, I do. I do miss it. I, um, I think this is going to be my my question I want to ask all my guests, but uh, what's the coolest thing you've learned in the last two weeks? Here, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with this. It's not necessarily something that I've learned. It's something that I've been able to appreciate more, which is um, the value of community and our community's institutions. Um, and let me explain. I think a lot of people have been missing out on um, being able to go to, you know, the local Little League game or local high school football, Friday night lights, going to school, uh, going to university, going to church. Um, And I think I've been able to appreciate um, how important those institutions are uh, and how much they mean for so many people in their lives uh, in terms of being able to feel like they're connected. and I think right now, as I'm you know, going through this, now is the time to reach out to other people uh, and being able to talk to them, being able to have conversations like this, um, being able to love them. So I think that's something that um, I've been able to not learn because I think I knew that, but I think it's just been so in my face that I need to appreciate um, what I've had um, and who's poured into me. Um, and who, who's taught me, uh, and sacrificed for me. And I think everyone has had a person that, um, has spent time pouring into them, uh, allowing them to learn, allowing them to grow, uh, and has supported them. And so I think, I think appreciating those who have supported you is something that I've understood the value of over these past three weeks, uh, especially with Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that would be it for me. Well, I, I really love that. And with, with that, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. I mean, you've you've seen me at the worst of it multiple times and have helped 
pull me out and kept me positive and where I'm at right now is the happiest I've been in months. And it's because I've been able to have these conversations with you. So, so thank you, Cooper. And I really appreciate you as a person and as a man and someone who I consider a part of my family with that. I want to thank you and say, this has been another great episode. And uh, also before, before you cut it off, I love you, Bo. I'm thankful for you. Um, I think of you like a brother and I'm so glad to, to hear all those things you just said. And I'm uh, so appreciative. Uh, this is another point guys or teenage guys who are listening to this, find, find you some friends that you're able to cry in front of. Um, I, I think that that's something yes. that is, that is not, not talked about. Um, I, I couldn't tell you the amount of friends who I've just been able to, to, to talk to and just give a hug to after they've just gone through a tough breakup or you know something terrible happened, some terrible loss, but be able to cry in front of your friends. And I, I think that's uh, important. Also t- tell me you love them. Tell mm-hmm. me, tell me you love them. That's, that's a piece of advice. Tell your friends that you love them. Love it. Love you, Cooper. Thank you. <laughs> love you, Bo. All right, friends. That was Cooper Conway, one of my best friends, a political science major at Boise State University. Cooper can be reached at cooperconway2 at gmail.com and on Twitter at cooperconway1. A special thanks to Dylan Scott for making the theme music for The Bow Show. Dylan can be reached at his Instagram in the podcast description. And another special thanks to Alex Rothschild, who created the cover art for The Bow Show. Alex can also be reached through his social media outlets in the podcast description. Thank you again so much for listening. Peace. Peace.